Hi, I'm Bryant Wright with Sin Relief. Everyone has a backstory. This is where I came from. This is what my family was like. These are my parents. This is my childhood home. Carlos Ferrer is a co-worker of mine. And like all of us, Carlos has a backstory, but his is very different. In a previous life, Carlos was a refugee. He and his family left Cuba shortly after Fidel Castro came to power. And never in his wildest dreams would Carlos have ever imagined where his new life in America would take him. You see, Carlos traveled a very long way, only to kind of end up right back where he started. Here's Carlos Ferrer's Story of Hope. Sixty-five years is a long time. Long enough, it would seem, to heal all wounds. And yet, memories can sometimes be stubbornly unshakable things. Growing up in Cuba, from the time I was six, seven years old until I was 10, the times that I remember the most are airplanes going by with bombs, uh, shootings. So I remember a lot of uh, a trauma like that, like not having peace, not knowing what peace was like. And it was every day. It wasn't like once a week or, I mean, every day there was something. Uh, one day, we were in a car, and I saw a man that came by my house that had just been tortured by the police, and he was bleeding like crazy. And that's the first time I saw so much blood. And I remember to this day this song that was uh, playing in the radio when I saw him. You know, I remember that. It's good that Carlos Ferrer remembers these things, because that reminds him just how beautifully crazy it is that he ended up back where he started. I still hear the bombs, still hear shootings. But every time that I talk about this with people, I thought this, it, uh, it, it hits my heart. It's just I can't, I can't hold the emotion. I, I keep telling my wife, one day I'm going to be able to express and tell the story without getting emotional. But I have, it hasn't happened. From Send Relief, this is Stories of Hope, episode number 75, The Unbroken Circle. There are two kinds of history. There's the kind that gets written about in textbooks, and then there's the kind that takes eight-year-old boys by surprise. Textbooks say Fidel Castro came to power in Cuba on January 1st, 1959. Carlos Ferrer says that was the beginning of the end of everything he and his family had ever known. All my family were teachers and uh, my family started a school in 1853 called the Academia Pitman. And then Castro takes over and uh, he confiscated, nationalized all the education uh, schools. So he took over our school, all our assets, all the buses, all the properties, all the bank accounts with that school and, and our last name on it, he confiscated. And so from one day to the next, we were doing okay financially to having nothing. History happened, and Carlos never saw it coming. 
Several weeks after losing everything to Fidel Castro, his parents woke him up in the middle of the night, and along with his sister and his grandfather, they snuck onto a boat that was bound for Mexico. They had no suitcases, no money, no possessions, and no plan other than leave Cuba. Carlos was 10 years old. I remember the, uh, the night that, uh, that we left Cuba because I was asleep, but they woke me up to get, up, get me out of the car and walk to the, to the ship, and I, I had no idea what was going on. No idea. It was uh, late at night, and uh, we left illegally. Think about the courage that my grandfather and my, my parents had in, in uh, taking the risk to do that, to go at night and take off without any money, without any bags, without anything, just, just to leave, to, to pursue liberty and freedom. And the more I live, the more I appreciate the decision they made because it was a decision for us, not so much for them, but for us and, and to have a future. The Ferrers stayed in Mexico for six months and then in 1962 emigrated to the U.S. When they landed in Miami, the future Carlos talked about was not even on his radar. He was much too worried about the present. You can imagine starting with nothing. My dad and mom were able to rent one bedroom out of this lady's house. She had a house. She was a widow. The four of us slept in one bed and... Uh, Sometimes we had two meals a day, or sometimes one meal a day, dependent. My, my father was a professor, and, but he was working on boats, cleaning and painting. He'd never done that kind of work in his life. But to be able to put food on the table, he had to do whatever needed to be done. And then I remember my father uh, found out that there's some people down the road, down the street here that are called Baptists. And uh, a friend told him that there's some Baptists here that are sending families to, sponsoring families to go to California. And my dad said, well, we're not even Baptists. And I said, it doesn't matter, just, just go. So he interviewed with the Baptists the following day. And so they hooked us up with the First Baptist Church of Santa Barbara. Carlos still remembers his first day in California. The members of First Baptist Church Santa Barbara met his family at the airport and drove them to their new home. The church had already paid the first six months' rent. They'd bought clothes for Carlos and his sister, and they'd lined up a job for Carlos's father. For a now 11-year-old Cuban boy who spoke very little English and had probably never even heard the word Baptist, it was the most unforgettable first impression ever. It was very humbling to have nothing and then have all these people that didn't even know us uh, come and give us uh, the physical needs that we needed. And I always wondered why these people were doing that, because they didn't know us. We didn't, they knew we weren't Baptists. And then little by little, they, they started inviting us to church. We didn't have to go. We didn't feel obligated. But we went uh, to see what it was like. And about a year later, my dad and mom walked down the aisle and accepted Christ. They were not, at that time, I didn't know what they were doing. I went to Sunday school, but I couldn't speak English. So uh, I didn't really understand what, 
the Bible was all about. But somehow it was going in. But the biggest thing, uh, I call them gospel seeds that were going through my brain, was the love that these people were showing to us. Those seeds grew. And seven years later, when Carlos went away to college, he met Christian friends who helped him connect the dots. I had two guys come talk to me. And uh, after they presented the gospel to me, I, I, I said, man, I want that. And we kneeled, we prayed, and the first thing that came to my mind when I, after that prayer was like the light bulbs in my head came on saying, now I know why those people in California did that. Now I know that that love they had for us came from Christ. Carlos grew up. He became a CPA. He became a Southern Baptist. He became a husband and a dad. And then, in 1992, he took a job with an organization called the Home Mission Board. I had no idea that I was coming to work at Home Mission Board. That was the same agency that had sponsored my family to go to California. I, I didn't put those together. But I'm here about two months, and I realized that there's a department at Home Mission Board that's called the uh, Refugee Resettlement Department. And so I went and I met the, the, the secretary there. And I said, well, do you keep your files? How long do you keep your files? Oh, yeah, we got files forever. And I thought, okay, do me a favor. Would you see if, if there's a file there with my last name? And so he went, he called me the next day, and I went to his office. He had tears in his eyes. He showed me this and he said, here's your, your file. And he had the original application my dad had signed, pictures of my family. The whole, the whole thing. And uh, I couldn't, I get very emotional saying it now and then because I thought, this is crazy. This is uh, 1992, they helped us in uh, 1962. So 30 years after they helped us get there, God calls me here. Without realizing it, Carlos had ended up working for the same organization that helped his family when they came to the U.S. 65 years is a long time. There was a revolution and a midnight boat ride, and there were parents and strangers who all did heroic things. There was a ministry that did refugee resettlement that's now called Send Relief. And there was an organization called the Home Mission Board that's now called the North American Mission Board. And it's funny how Carlos Ferrer now the executive vice president of the North American Mission Board, is grateful to have lived through it all, only to end up back where he started. Only God could do that. The whole circle coming here and finding out that this is the entity that uh, helped my family uh, get a, a fresh start. And I'm, I'm so thankful and grateful that I've been here this long and been able to uh, be part of uh, something that's uh, affected my life and my family's life. Uh, you can't make that up. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Bryant Wright. The locations they come from may have changed, but Southern Baptists are still helping resettle refugees in great numbers. 
If you'd like practical tips on how you and your church can meet needs and change the lives of refugees and internationals, visit Sin Relief online at sinrelief.org. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Stories of Hope. You'll automatically get a new episode every two weeks. Go to Apple or Spotify podcast and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you've liked what you've heard here, rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcast. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. This is Bryant Wright with Sin Relief. Join me in two weeks for another episode of Stories of Hope.